and welcome to Moonwise, a monthly podcast featuring conversations with women of power. I'm your host, Dorte Sophie Royal, and in this episode, we bring you my conversation with author and women's health advocate Kimberly Ann Johnson about world changing sex and reawakening feminine pleasure. Kimberly Ann Johnson is the founder of the holistic women's health collective Magamama. She defines herself as a vagina practitioner who serves as a birth doula, a certified sexological body worker, and somatic experiencing practitioner. After her own birth injury and difficult postpartum period, she studied women's pelvic health and developed a private practice that has helped hundreds of women around the world to heal from trauma around sex and birth. She's also the author of a very popular book about postpartum care called The Fourth Trimester. In this episode, we talk about the intention and purpose of sex and how we can move beyond physical sex into embodied spiritual sex. We touch on the role that shame and guilt play in our cultural programming around sexuality and how we can begin to free ourselves from those harmful messages. Note that there will be some graphic language and adult topics in this episode, so if you're listening with children, tune in when you're in a private space. Hello, Kimberly. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. I've been wanting to chat with you for a long time, but recently I was lucky to catch an Instagram live conversation you did with Jessa Blades about women's pleasure and sexual health that blew my mind. So I'm really excited to speak with you today about what you call world-changing sex. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I'd love to start with some questions that I saw you ask in one of your courses. And those questions are, what if you could explore your authentic sexual self free from the stories of your lineage, your mother, your father, and the religion you were raised in? Those to me are some very provocative and deep questions that I think many of us may have never even contemplated. Mm. Yeah, that could kind of be the whole podcast, huh? <laughs> it's a that's a lifelong project right there. Towards think people think enlightenment is, you know, sitting by yourself and having deep experiences, but if we could live out of those pieces of conditioning, that would be the the true enlightenment. But what piece of it specifically did you want to talk about? You know, what I'm really intrigued by is your unique perspective on the role of pleasure and orgasm for women. And I've heard you tell the story before that at book signings, you have an amazing book called The Fourth Tribester that I recommend everyone check out. But you, you've you said, well, many women come up to me at these book signings and kind of whisper that they've never had an orgasm, or they talk about the shame and guilt associated with their sexuality. And so um, I'm curious to know why you think it's important that we all have more open conversations about women's pleasure in our culture why I think it's important. Well, what we know is happening right now is greatly informed by what we see happening with birth all over the world, which is that it's getting harder for women to birth. Uh, What we see happening in the Me Too movement, which is a mass revelation of pain and victimization in a way. Mm. And we're being invited into a new narrative 
that could be a space outside of what I think of as the predator and the prey taking on a moral framework that then makes predators are usually men. That means they're bad. And prey is usually women, which means we're good and puts us in these big polarities that then we somehow have to make our way through. So the future, the new story that I envision for my daughter is that as she comes of age, which is just beginning right now, her sexuality is not something that is in response to a male gaze. It's not in response to porn, which shows us a male arousal trajectory, even if a female is enacting it, or what magazines decide is sexy or appealing, because it's big, you know, that's big business, that she has space permission and an embodied feeling that she's getting from me about what it is to have self-generated sexual expression, what it is to have an internally sourced connection to arousal and turn on that we either decide to share an exchange with nature or with ourselves or with another. And it's important because it is the antidote to what we see now, which is, you know, one in four women getting assaulted on college campuses and very empowered, successful women getting into birth scenarios that are nothing like what they might have imagined and losing their voice when it comes to their pelvis. To me, it's the point, the most powerful point of the biggest transformational potential for our culture, more than therapy, more than meditation. If we can do this in our sexual interactions or in any time that we're working with arousal and turn on, we have this activator, which then allows us to transmute and it brings our unconscious to the surface. So in those windows where our unconscious is accessible, just like in the dream world or in the birth or a death situation, we have the real material for maturation and our culture desperately needs to mature. And by our culture, I mean, American culture, we are barely in the adolescent phase. We're in a more pre-adolescent phase. So to move into true evolution where both parties or all parties pleasure is important respected mutually co-created understood that one person's pleasure doesn't mean another person doesn't get it or we're not bartering it well I'll give this to you just so I don't have to give that to you uh, I'll give you a blowjob just so I don't have to sleep with you or I'll kiss you just so you go home uh, that we really feel that at every point we have a choice and hopefully that means we choose in more. Hopefully that means we have more sex, not less sex. And we have better sex for everyone, better sex for women, better sex for men, better sex for people of all genders, because we've expanded our definition of what it is. And it's not something that we're keeping from someone. And it's not something that we're trying to take from someone or convince someone about, but it's something that's genuinely desired. 
Yeah, that's a really beautiful vision. And thank you for the work you're doing um, to help bring that about. Um, You talk a lot about intention and the purpose of sex and the question around sexuality, who is this for? Um, And I've heard you talk about, you know, when you ask yourself, who is this for? Who is the sexual act or choice being made for? Are you giving a massage or a caress because you really want to, or because maybe you're making assumptions about what the other person really wants? And I find those questions really um, helpful to be asking ourselves. Right. We need to be clear that this isn't a neocortical process because our neocortex has already gotten us in trouble. It's why we are where we are. It's not that we want to disengage or turn off our neocortex entirely, but people's perception of what it means if we start to ask those questions is that it just gets all heady and it's just this real stiff, boring, can I kiss you? Okay, sure. Can I touch your breast? When actually it's, it, it might be like that. I mean, it might be awkward at first or even along the road. It's, I mean, sex can be really awkward and it can be funny and it can be, you know, disgusting and it can be revelatory. It can be everything just like life. Uh, but it is important because we end up in our habitual frameworks and those habits are exactly the things that you explained at the very first question, which are habits that we're not even aware that we inherited about how our mom and dad dealt with sex, dealt with each other, what they told us implicitly and explicitly about our bodies, uh, about you know who we're supposed to exchange with. It's what our religion told us. You know, I I didn't even grow up in a religion. And yet I grew up in the United States, which is founded on a puritanical belief system. So consciously or unconsciously, those are going to be impacting my own perception of uh, what's appropriate, what is womanly, what is feminine. And I know because I lived in Brazil for eight years, which, by the way, is completely mischaracterized. I mean, people think about Brazilians and they think about Brazilian waxing and Brazilian sambistas, and, you know, Brazilians are just so comfortable with their bodies because their ass is out all the time. And it's a Catholic country. So the Madonna whore split is bigger than ever. There's a different flavor to it. There's a different texture to it. But I led circles there for a long time, about spirituality and sexuality, specifically in yoga studios. And it was fascinating because every city that I went to, the conversation was very different, even within Brazil. Oh, if I grew up in the Northeast, this is what I was taught. Oh, I grew up in the South, and this is what I was taught. And universally, we're inheriting a lot of patterning, conditioning, and it has a lot to do with who has power and who has control. And the, the feminine and feminine sexuality and feminine life force is extremely threatening to the status quo. Because what would happen if women uh, were allowed to fully feel into our bodies? And people are fascinated, fascinated. Women everywhere are fascinated by the sacred prostitute. Every woman I've ever taught, when they start to hear about it, it's like there's something in them that lights up, perhaps because it's the most forbidden, but also because 
as women, we know that we have alchemical sexual power. We know we have it. And I'm not saying men don't. I think men can have it. Uh, I just think that there's something very particular to be being in a woman's body and how we alchemize energy. So when you say alchemical sexual energy, are you talking about that sense that maybe many women and maybe some who are listening feel that they know in some way that there's something really sacred happening through sexuality, that there's some kind of magic and there's some kind of transformative potential that's that they can access that's greater than themselves. Yeah. I think, you know, in the, the temple priestess used to be the place where men would come when they came home from war so that they could literally have a loving experience that would shift all of the violence and killing and whatever else is happening at war, the way that that was neutralized or alchemized so that that person could reintegrate into the culture was through sexual encounters. And so, yes, I agree that most women are seeking something beyond what they've experienced and they know there's something there. They often use a metaphor for me of it's like this safe And they know inside this safe are the treasures and the things that sexuality could be, but they just don't have the key and they don't know how to find the key to get in there to access that. The first steps are connecting to your body, knowing how to really feel your body. So not thinking about what you feel, not thinking about sensations. Lots of women think their feelings, but they don't actually feel their feelings. And beneath the feelings are sensation. So first is to really begin with where things are. And it never really moves on from there because you can be very advanced or you can be working on these things for a long time. And that's the power of it is that if you really allow yourself to be in the present moment, then things will arise to be healed, whether that's inside yourself, whether that's inside your partner, whether that's in the alchemy formed between the two people. Uh, but it starts by getting really honest and having some kind of an embodiment practice. And you've mentioned before that often the mind can understand something, but the body, the physical tissue is actually what needs to learn how to let go, or maybe it's the energetic matrix of your body, but that the body holds things that maybe we in our minds don't even realize that it's holding. Right. So that can arise as a surprise sometimes, but then a lot of people who are listening already know that as their reality because in their mind, they may have already said to themselves, well, that whole Adam and Eve thing is bullshit. And I don't believe I'm lesser than a man or F that whole pre whatever it is when you're supposed to wait till you have premarital sex. Uh, and yet their body is still in freeze or they feel they've been to therapy and they've worked through their sexual assault or their childhood sexual abuse or their um, creepy stepfather or whatever. But yet now they're in relationship and they aren't able to be intimate in a way that they want to, or they can have an orgasm by themselves, but not with a partner. You know, there's an infinite amount of combinations of how these weave together. 
but ultimately, yes, you know, Bessel van der Kolk wrote the famous book, The Body Keeps the Score. And Stanley Kellerman wrote an earlier one, like three decades earlier, Your Body Speaks Its Mind. And we like to think that if we just do affirmations and we do journaling and we, you know, go to therapy and we talk it out and but really, that's why I'm like, get out of the get out of the therapy office and get get into your bedroom, and get really honest and real moment by moment about what's going on. And there's a lot of transformative potential there. So I'm not saying that those other things aren't useful. I am a somatic experiencing trauma resolution practitioner, and I've done a lot of different kinds of therapy and self development work and spiritual practice. But ultimately, I feel the most efficient because it's the most central to our identity. We, we were created through erotic energy, every single person. We were created in that life force material. So that is our essence. And so through that essence, there's huge transformative potential. And People think they want spiritual sex because they look at Alex Gray drawings and they see all the, you know, rainbow energy and the hearts exploding. And that is possible and it happens and people want multiple orgasms, but that doesn't just because it's like any spiritual practice. It doesn't mean that's going to feel good. I'm not saying it's going to be painful. I don't think people should be having repetitively painful sex because that's a whole other topic we can go into if you want to, but it's bigger than us. So we're not controlling it. And that's, that's the scary part. So are we willing to allow ourselves to lose control? It's why one of the parts of my book is enjoying exploratory sex as preparation for childbirth, because in childbirth, you have to lose control. And if you don't lose control, it doesn't go well. But how do we practice losing control in a culture of entitlement and predictability where everything works? I mean, everything here works like the, the, wor- the, le- the, like the worst you have to do. A, I mean, how many times does your electricity go out a year? Like once, maybe. And then maybe you have to, oh, no, I have to stay two minutes in the street while somebody else passes by because they're doing construction. But you go to the bank and you can solve things in 15 or 20 minutes and you go to the grocery store and you can have food from anywhere. So we don't have a lot of practice at losing control about things not going our way. And energetically losing control arousal energy is activation energy so we have to build our capacity to hold energy that's what premature ejaculation is it's like the system isn't strong enough to hold the charge and so it just it just like off gases or defaults right away uh so we have to have training for our systems to be able to hold charge but it comes back to the same simple things, which are not easy, but they are simple to know how to track your system and then to coordinate that with your words. So to know how to talk about it so that I could say to you, you know, I came here and I was really fantasized about making love to you. And now that I'm here, I feel like I'm in freeze. I don't know what to do. I don't even feel like I can move towards you right now. And just being with that. And being with that in the space with another person and then pausing for that and then waiting to see what happens after that's named in the space. 
And what happens when we stop overriding? Hmm. What happens when we stop pushing ourselves past what our body is really ready for? And isn't that, wow, just, I'm sure so many of us have experienced that in a way that like internal violence we do to ourselves when we say like, oh, just, just ignore that feeling or that intuition or that need just so that we can be nice or we can show up in the way we think others want us to. And we, in a way, betray ourselves. And it's definitely (laughs) a lot. We're taught to do that, right? So that's, it's toleration, right? We're taught to tolerate. And you can go to a doctor after you have a baby. And a very common piece of advice is have maintenance sex. Maintenance sex is when you just make a date once a week and you have sex on that, you know, every Sunday or something. And every woman I've talked to about that is just like dreading the Sunday getting closer. But the doctor says, well, if you just keep doing it, you'll get used to it. You'll warm up and then, you know, you'll save your marriage. And so it's not just that we're conditioned in a lot of different ways to be nice, to not make waves. Uh, And, you know, I have, in in my case, I have parents who really wanted me to be self-expressed. My mom came from a repressive household, so the one thing she wanted was her kids to be able to speak their minds. And it went overboard. Like, my siblings were super disrespectful, even to my grandparents, to a way that was cringeworthy. So I wasn't raised to be seen and not heard or anything like that. And yet, when it came to some difficult situations, I wasn't able to access my voice, partially because I was so shocked that I was in those situations. Like I, I thought that if I was just a nice person, that good, that good things would happen. And so when it came time for me to defend myself, I couldn't, I froze because I was just so shocked that I was even in the situation to begin with. So I wouldn't want our conversation to make women blame themselves more because women are already filled with blame and shame about the ways that we've interacted with our own bodies, the way we've interacted with doctors, the way we've interacted with lovers, our husbands. But I would want someone to recognize that it's possible to have an evolving sexual self where our needs and our wants evolve over time and that they're actually not an exception at all because we all think we're that no one else is going through what we're going through. That's just the essential human condition. We think we're the only one that's experiencing whatever we're experiencing. And, you know, as unusual as it may be, we're still not the only person because there's always other people that are going through something similar. But when you learn about physiology, so this is what my Activate Your Inner Jaguar course is about. It's about how you understand your nervous system in your own body it takes the way the blame and the internalization of I'm wrong because I'm doing this, which never helps us come out of that pattern because the more wrong we feel, the more alone we feel, the farther the pattern gets pushed down, which is why even having a conversation like this is already part of the solution because in hearing this, a level of social engagement happens, which is our first level of nervous system defense telling us if we're safe or not. 
so people develop a sense of safety and trust like okay this is really shitty what I'm experiencing I don't know even where to go from here but I do know that I'm living a question that many people also live because we have no idea what a culture is going to look like with self-generated feminine energy for men and women and all genders. People think, oh, we are just talking about women. No, I'm not. I'm talking about when people say toxic masculinity in quotes, that's alive and well in men and in women. And we're seeing the results of that because it's toxic masculinity internalized that's creating the health problems that women are having, that's creating polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis, fertility difficulties, HPV, the, the list goes on and on. The latest, you know, problem cycles and uh, because essentially the feminine doesn't care about getting more done, doesn't care about doing everything at the same time. Not cons- the feminine doesn't give a shit about your ego. So it's asking us, it's calling us forward to really attend to these other qualities. You know, people say, well, how do I have better sex? Bar none. First thing, everyone, everywhere, whatever gender, doesn't matter. Slow down. Slow down and then slow down again. And then get even slower. And that, that alone is radical because when, when it has to be fast, we skip over steps. We don't see the transformative potential. We're just right in a habit that's taking us to the same end point that's the same emotional reaction, and we don't get to experience any range. We don't get to experience anything new. And then it's like, oh, yeah, well, that happens, and then that always happens. And it's like, yeah. Because you haven't stopped. Take a breath. One look means one position means one end point. And then women say they have low libido. And it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, because you don't want the sex you're being offered. You want sex, but you don't want that sex, whatever that sex has become for that person. But slowing down is where new possibilities live. And people always say, well, then should I bring my husband to see you? Should I bring my boyfriend? Because we always think, oh, the other person. But if we really stand our ground compassionately and without blame, and we say, I need a pause right now, or hold on a minute, I think I need to put my underwear back on. But I don't want to stop. I just want to pause. Partners follow. And then they learn. And then they start asking for pauses because they realize, wow, this is actually way more enjoyable when it's not a frenzied rush to a finish line or to please you the way that I think that I'm supposed to please you but I don't even know that I think that, but I must think that or else I wouldn't be doing this. And that's where the who's it for comes in. That makes us really ask ourselves, okay, I am going to give a blowjob. Is it because I think that's what all men want? Is it because 
I don't want to do anything else. I don't want to be touched. I don't want to kiss, but maybe I could just tolerate that and it'll be fast and I can get it over with. Is it because you really fucking love cock and you're just like, I cannot wait to suck some dick and it's for me? Who's it for? And it's a different proposition. And in a, you know, in a more palatable example, maybe, you know, my daughter is, she'll say like, mom, do you want a hug? She wants a hug. So it's annoying, an annoying question. Cause like, no, if I wanted a hug, I would have asked you for one or I would have come over to you and hugged you. If you want a hug, say, I want a hug. Mom, I want a hug right now. Okay. So it's like, Hey, do you want to have sex? Well, I mean, maybe, but you're asking, so do you? I mean, then just say, hey, I was thinking like I'm, I feel my arousal level is kind of like at a six out of 10 right now. Where are you at on that scale? Um, it seems like we have a little time right now, and I was wondering what you were up for. The request and the way that we communicate it is also part of the interaction where we're asking for transparency and honesty. And we can feel that when it's not happening. What I'm hearing you say is a lot of this is working towards maturity in the sense of mature communication, embodiment, basically deepening into our understanding of ourselves so that we can really share. And how beautiful in a culture that just absolutely worships youth and this very, yeah, immature version of sex Definitely. I mean, I think it's, I don't know. I I thought it was kind of common knowledge that women get sexier as they get older. Uh, Maybe it's not, but I thought it was sort of common knowledge also that, and I was thinking about it the other day because I was wondering, well, why is it that women, I think part of it is because Ideally, hopefully, we're getting more comfortable with ourselves. We're more comfortable with our bodies. We know what we want more. We know how to ask for it. And I think there, you know, as you get closer to menopause, you just care less about what other people think. You have less estrogen in your body. Um, The estrogen is the bonding hormone and the hormone that would make us tolerate more for the good of the environment or the family. But experience, as long as it's varied experience, and I don't think experience has to mean, I think we really miss, I think we make a lot of mistakes thinking that experience has to mean lots of different partners. You know, people make a lot of assumptions about me because I'm a sex educator about, you know, most people just assume that that means that I'm available for lots of different kinds of sexual interactions and that, you know, there's a bit of a conflation with promiscuity and being sex positive. And ultimately, I think it really means just being very clear about who you are, how you work. You know, for me, I am my early attachment style wounds don't work well to be dating many people at one time. So it works for me to date one person and get to know that person. And I also know that I attach very quickly So that's good information for me because that means I really need to take things slowly and I need to spread out the encounters at the beginning because I may get, I may skip over some steps because my hormonal system works that way. Whereas some people's attachment styles for them, casual sex is is really okay. It can really be a physical 
pleasurable exchange that works for them. Uh, but it's, it doesn't matter. There's no morality around it. It's just how does, how do each of us work and, and identifying what are the things that go into this category that we call sex? What, what makes up sex? You know, it's our relationship to our body, our relationship to pleasure, our relationship to masculine energy, our relationship to feminine energy, our relationship to play, to desire, to companionship. For everyone, it's going to be a different measure of those things. And it's really worth asking ourselves, where do we go in sex? What is sex for, for us? Because each person is going to have a different answer for that. Hmm. That's a really good point, right? Where are we trying to go together or with ourselves? Like, what are we, why are we even doing this? <laughs> yeah, what are we exploring? Is in we meaning, like, what am I exploring? That's an interesting question. An uninteresting question to me is how many times a week do you have sex? Um, how long is it? Lots of people, that's their report. Well, we have sex three times a week for 20 minutes. Uh, an interesting question to me is what parts of yourself do you get to know better through your erotic energy? What, what questions are you exploring in your self-pleasure practice? What's an edge for you sexually? For some people, an edge for them is keeping their eyes open. For some people, an edge for them is allowing themselves to care about the person that they're in relationship with or sexual interaction with. For other people, an edge for them is they're really interested in trying something, whether that's they saw a shibari workshop or um, there's some sex act that seems really interesting to them. But for most people, it's a lot more subtle than we than our stereotypes evoke, right? Because we think, oh, better sex. And then all of a sudden, all the colors are red, purple, and black. And we're thinking about whips and toys and plastic devices. And better sex, that could be the direction. But I'd say that's probably for like 5% of people, because that's actually really advanced. Advanced meaning not that the people who are doing that are advanced, but to have healed ourselves enough to be able to play in those spaces and stay connected to ourselves and not be reactivating or re-traumatizing, that's advanced. I also I think silent sex is advanced. I think people think, oh, well, you're not supposed to talk and you don't want to ruin the moment. And, and then if you talk, you're actually exposing that you don't know what you're doing. So maybe if you don't talk, you can just try to be really good and um, the person's going to think you're really experienced or whatever. But Silent sex is what happens some of the time after you've done a lot of the fundamental work of really giving someone else your code about who you are and how you work. And, you know, and I'm not talking about, by the way, the most sensitive part of my clit is at two o'clock. So if you can go over there and lick that, I'm not talking about that. Although I guess that's fine. That's just never at all been my experience. Uh, my experience is much more about knowing myself so that in a moment I'm able to speak what's happening in that moment and follow that moment. Or in Tantra, they would say, you know, following the golden thread. 
and having permission for that. But that, again, it, that takes, it takes practice, but it takes time. You know, for me, a sexual interaction of any kind of meaning or depth is like at least a few hours. I went through a period of time when I was really trying, I mean, I'm single and um, I'm a single mom and I was like, okay, so what am I going to do with my erotic energy? Like, how do I, how do I do this? I didn't really have time to date because I didn't have childcare. So I looked into escorts and I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll hire somebody. But the way that escorts work, male escorts, first of all, all their marketing is is geared towards men. So it's all about like how big their dick is and how hard it can get. And I was just like, I don't fucking care about that. I mean, I really could care less how big your dick is. And the pictures were just like, it's like, Hey, this is definitely, this is definitely not geared towards women, but okay. Like I can get past that. So now that I'm past that, it's all by the hour. And it was like $350 an hour. So I'm thinking, all right, four hours, 350 times four, that's like 1400 bucks. I think this person should pay me so that I can teach them in those four hours because, uh, and, and so it's just like, well, this is just, it doesn't even make sense. I mean, what would I possibly do with a man I don't know in one hour? It just, I just, there's no way that my body could get to know that other body that I could feel into myself, that I could be able to like settle into myself and have an experience with any level of integrity. And I'm not talking about falling in love, hardly. I'm just talking about my body having any level of responsiveness and interaction and dance. But I think that most women, you know, what's happening with the girls right now and girls in college age girls is that they've really adopted the sex in the city point of view, which is, um, you know, a, a liberated sexual woman is one who just can fuck them and leave them. Basically you could just have sex and not care and get drunk and have sex and not care. And that, you know, and why should you? Cause guys do that. That's a, that's just another version of unhealthy masculinity. It's not even masculinity. It's just out of balance. And so when I say to people, yeah, the last boyfriend I had, I didn't have penetrative sex with him for like five months. They just can't even believe it. But I, on the third date, he said, um, something like, can I take you to bed? And I just, I just looked at him and I was like, we haven't even seen each other naked yet. That seems like kind of a long, a far way to go. And I wasn't upset about it or anything. I just kind of laughing. And then I said, and also I think we're adults. So we're supposed to have that conversation about, you know, um, so I just opened it up and was like, so I have genital herpes. And then he like that, like took him aback. And then he like paused for a second. Then, and he's like, well, I've had a vasectomy, which totally took me aback because that was a first for me and I wanted kids at that time. So I was like, okay. So we had that conversation on a street corner. Uh, but yeah, I, I just was like, my body hasn't even gotten to, to feel your body. I don't even know you. How are we going to go to that place? And I'm not saying that has to be that way every time. Um, I'm, I, really liked him and I really wanted to have a relationship. And so, um, I don't recommend if you have someone you really want to have a relationship, I don't recommend going to bed with them off the bat. It's not, it, and everyone's going to say there's exceptions. And I slept with my husband the first night we met. And, but in general, if you want to build a long-term relationship with them, someone sleeping with them right away is not a good tactic. Uh, so 
we, I just don't think we have a lot of examples or permission that, and we were having great sex. We just weren't having penetrative sex. We were having an amazing time that neither of us was missing out on anything. We were completely into it. It was just that my body, there was one day when he laid on top of me and all of a sudden my whole body let go and I felt just a complete relaxation. And at that moment, we were in silence and he said, I just felt your invitation. Mm. And we both felt it at the same time. Until that time, my body hadn't given the invitation. And then I was like really excited and I was like, okay, well, maybe is it going to be in like now, you know, and, and he was like, I don't want it to be now because we don't have time. And we said that we wanted to have a lot of time when this is the direction that we went. And all of a sudden he was the one who was holding the boundary and holding our contract with each other, which I think people don't understand that there's lots of men who will do that. It's just, they haven't been shown. None of us have good training. None of us have good education. It's not like somebody out there got like the best sex ed ever. Like it's, (laughs) I think that's maybe, I mean, I've never met that person. I just watched a YouTube of an amazing sex educator and I'm imagining people who had education with her did, but we're going to say like 0.001% of our population. So no one needs to feel bad about any of this because you have to seek out the education. You have to seek out the skills in order to develop them. I think most people are really hungry for it. I mean, people can't get enough of once they get around it, they can't get enough of it. We're starving for real conversation that has depth that's not just all spiritual, like do this Tantra thing and isn't all banal, but has a conversation that has breadth to it. And so I have hope because I think those conversations are happening more. I mean, I don't, I sometimes feel like maybe I'm eluding myself because my Instagram feed is obviously self-selected, but, um, I guess that's the, that's the story that I need to believe in to feel hopeful and to, to feel, yeah, to feel hopeful. I teach a class called Activate Your Inner Jaguar that's specifically designed towards sexuality. So giving these fundamental skills of how to track yourself, how to communicate about tracking, but then also to understand kind of where the crossed wires are in our system, you know, because of these these situations you brought up where our mind says one thing and our body says something else. We have the potential to align those and so that there's total coherence in terms of our body language, our facial expressions, our words that we're using and how we're using them. So that course is something I developed after I made a video that went viral about the Me Too movement and about a call to step out of the morality about predator and prey, because in the natural world, there's always predators and prey, and every predator is prey for something else. We have the capacity. Now, there's 5% of people out there that are dangerous and that are assholes, but most of the, most of the interactions that we have are in a gray area, and that's where things like the un- Aziz Ansari case happen or that's where most date rapes happen. It's where, um, just, you know, most uncomfortable interactions happen and we have the power to shift how we relate to those and shift the types of interactions that we have. So 
that course is really designed to take people through the steps of how to do that. And it really works. It's been amazing because I was skeptical myself since I'm a somatic practitioner and I'm, you know, I'm a, I was a yoga teacher and a body worker and I've always done things touching people and being in a room with them. And I was like, can I really do this somatic work online? But it actually works great. And I've taken like 400 women through that process and a handful of men who read their, their partners took it and then they retook the course with their partner. So that's a great resource on my website. There's a pelvic floor mapping where it's like a 20 minute audio that just takes you through your own pelvic floor so that you understand how it works, how to engage it. It's kind of an answer because so many women get the advice. If something's going on with their pelvis, they get the advice, do more kegels. And that drives me crazy because most people don't know how to do a Kegel to begin with. And a lot of women shouldn't be doing Kegels. So that audio just kind of show, like, goes through all of that anatomically and then energetically as well. And my book, I mean, even though my book is about motherhood, it's called The Fourth Trimester. The whole first section is how to prepare for motherhood. But there's also a lot of relational exercises. I'm really happy that a lot of people tell me their feedback is the best part of the book for them was the relationship scripts and the information about sexuality. And that really applies to anyone. And those skills, you know, it just like the pelvic floor, like it shouldn't, we shouldn't be postpartum the first time we're discovering our pelvic floor. And by shouldn't, again, I'm not blaming the person who gets there and that's where they're at. It's just as a culture and as, you know, sisterhood, womanhood, we should be having these conversations before we're at the bottom of the well, so to speak. Thank you for listening to the show. Please join us on patreon.com slash moonwise for bonus offerings related to this episode, including links to a great article about Kimberly Ann Johnson's personal journey and work, as well as an essay written by Kimberly about how female arousal works. And also check out the link to her latest course, Activate Your Inner Jaguar. You can find all that and more at patreon.com slash moonwise. If you enjoyed our show, please rate us on iTunes and write a review. Our theme music is Butterflies March by Sophie Cooper from her album Rewilding, available on Bandcamp. Have a great month, and we'll see you on the next new moon.